morning. Uh, got your Bibles. I'm going to start because my time's going to be a little limited here, and I'm going to try to pack this in. We're going to be talking on uh, on money this week, and I just finished the last two weeks talking to my kids on money. I do it every year at the end of the year. They'll come to the house for a couple of days, and we start to lay out their life. And it's a real carnal thing. Um, uh, there's always going to be money. Jesus said in Luke 17, in the last days, they'll be eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, buying, selling, building, and planting. He said in the New Living Translation, Jesus said, it will be business as usual until the day I come to get you. And so there will always be an economy. Now, we also realize there's also going to be some tough times. Second Timothy chapter 3, in the last days, perilous times will come. Matthew 24, Jesus said there'd be, you know, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, and famines. But it'll also be business as usual. So there are two kingdoms at war with one another. We get to choose which one we're in. And so as a father of six kids, you know, I want to make sure mine are doing well because, you know, I don't want to have to take care of you. I want you to take care of yourself. Matter of fact, I want you to be so good you start taking care of me. I've sown into you. You owe mom and I. You owe us Winnebago's and Mediterranean cruises. and You owe us stuff. So when you come over, bring food to good report, leave some cash. I don't know. I'm just trying to encourage you every way I can to be a blessing. Well, you can't be a blessing if you're not blessed. Now, everybody deals with money. I don't care what level you're at. Everybody deals with it. Um, please register for the Ramsey Seminar coming up on Sunday night. Don't miss that. God is a practical God. We do the natural. He does the supernatural. We walk around the walls of Jericho. He knocks them down. We lift up the staff. He parts the water. We make the mud. He opens eyes. If you don't do the natural, God will not do the supernatural. Faith without works is dead. The greatest financial miracle you will ever do is to get a budget. 97% of all American families, Christian and non-Christian, do not have a working budget, according to the last census. 97% of all Americans, they don't know how much they owe, how much they own, where it's coming from and where it's going. They just know they need more. That's why they'll never have more because God is a God of stewardship. What you take care of, you get more of, whether you're saved or not saved. It is a law that works like gravity. When you start stewarding what you have, it will increase whether you're saved or not saved. Because I'll tell you, we do seminars all over the country. And Christianity is not the dividing line, I'll be honest with you. It tells whether or not you're going to heaven, but I know a lot of heathens living a highly blessed life. I said, I know a lot of heathens living a highly blessed life. Why? Because there's laws that work with your Savior not saved. Gravity works with your Savior not saved. Money works with your Savior not saved. If you don't work the laws that God created for it, it won't work for you. God, I'm blessed because you're a Christian. I know a lot of poor Christians. God bless you because you know what to do. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. So what we're going to do today is just kind of open up what we're going to do now. I. I've been to uh, three Dave Ramsey seminars, been three times because I've got a lot of kids. I need to know where my money's at. And it's, a, it's an outstanding, excellent, nothing left undone seminar. So I'm not really going to teach what Dave's going to give you. I'm going to go back at sort of a notch to get back to the vision part because I think the most important thing is you know why you're hearing what you're doing because then what good's money going to do if you don't know what you're doing with it? Uh, Proverbs 29:18 says, where there's no vision, the people perish. That's so in a personal life. Uh, it's so in a nation, it's so in a business, a family. Uh, you got to be doing something besides just showing up. 
You've got to have some life besides just get up, go to work, make money, come home, pay the bills, and go to bed. What are you doing here? Now, I've got a wedding coming up for one of my daughters this year, and uh, uh, my future son-in-law just texted me. Uh, I got it on the plane yesterday, and I was, uh, flew from Tulsa to Dallas and then uh, Dallas to Nashville, and I had to get a daughter back in college yesterday, and so uh, it's her fiancé, and great guy. I like him a lot, but one of the things we have to do is there's a 39-page questionnaire they have to fill out, pre-marriage questionnaire. That's a lot of questions, and uh, so my daughter's filling out on the plane, and she's heard me teach this for years, but it's her first time to fill it out. And we were sitting next to each other, and she'd look up every and I'd say, you have got to be kidding me. No, fill it out. Okay, that's why we do this. I'm not going to read it. You're going to read it, and he's going to read it. I'm not going to read it. This is between you two. You're the one marrying him. He's marrying you. But uh, one of the things there's also about money and about vision. So he had texted me on my iPhone. I got it in Dallas, this five-year plan. I said, nobody gets married without a five-year plan. Where are you going to be five years from now? How much money are you going to be making? Where are you going to be living? What are you doing? How are you finishing school? What's going on? It doesn't have to be perfect. It's just that you have a plan. I'm not looking for a perfect plan. I'm looking for a plan. All plans get adjusted. You understand? Now, I'm going to take it back uh, all the way to Jesus. My friend, let me just read these. I keep these, I keep these in my Bible just for my own personal sake, handwritten. I'll give you these three scriptures. Uh, the first is Hebrews 2.16. It says, Jesus, I'm going to paraphrase it. Jesus knew where he came from. Jesus laid down his glory in heaven took on the body of a man, came to earth. This is where you have to go back to Genesis and realize God gave Adam and Eve the planet and everything they needed and everything was perfect. When they sinned, because sin kills, has death attached to it. When they sinned, they got fired from the job, evicted from their house, their kids started killing each other. God knew they would sin. He already had a plan to send his son to save mankind because he knew mankind would lose it because he had to make man a free will creature. If you read through the curses, you know, woman, you're going to have pain in childbirth. Uh, Adam, you're going to have to work by the sweat of your brow now. Before, everything would just be, you would just be blessed, prosperous. But now that there's sin, there's a curse on that. You're going to work by the sweat of your brow. Thorns and thistles are going to grow up. You'll make a living, but you're going to have to sweat like a dog to get it. And so all of a sudden you realize something. Mankind has struggled for years to survive, to survive finance, financially, physically, health-wise, Everything from the bubonic plague, you know, many of my Irish relatives came over because of the famine in Ireland, coming to me, they're starving to death. So if you just read history itself, there's always been a curse. Galatians 3.13, if you're a Christian, if you're in the church, you belong to a church, you're participating with it, and you're in your Bible, you know we have been redeemed from the curse of the law. We're still living on a cursed planet, but we personally have been redeemed from that. Jesus was made a curse for us took the curse on him when he went on the cross. I'm not under the curse of poverty, sickness, and death anymore. That doesn't belong to me. Now, that's a spiritual technical fact, but then I have to bring that to pass in my life with my faith. Faith that works is dead. Work without faith. I have to believe what God said is true because I don't see it around me. I see an economy not doing really well. Unemployment still hovering over 9%. You know, stock market's up and down like a roller coaster ride. You know, some of the prices are high, gas prices are high, houses won't get cheaper, nothing's going to get cheaper, it will get more expensive, but God promised, I'll make you the head, not the tail, above and not beneath everything you set your hand to prosper. What I believe is critical as to how I live. You know, we're going to go into all this this week, but as a man thinks in his heart, so is it. What you think and believe is critical. It's not the economy, it's what you believe. Jesus always ministered to people, believest thou I'm able to do this. Why? Because Jesus is not limited, but he's limited by what the people believe. 
Do you believe I'm going to bless you in the midst of a famine, a recession, a depression? Do you believe you can be blessed? Because if you do, you will be. If you don't believe it, if you're waiting on the recession to be over, you're going to be poor the rest of your life. Anybody ever study financial history? So what you realize is the most important thing in anybody's life, my life, my children's life, my son-in-law's life, is a vision. Who are you? And I go through the six, you know the six things. If you've ever been to a secular seminar, it's biblical, but it's in every secular seminar. Who, what, where, how, why, when. You ever been to those seminars? You've got to pay $1,000 to get this. I'm giving it to you for free. And they help businessmen become successful by making them answer those six questions. Who are you? What? Who are you? Well, I'm Billy Bob. Well, well yeah, but who is Billy Bob? Let, let's get technical. Who are you? What are you doing here? Where are you going? Why are you going there? You know, how are you going to get there? I mean, you start making them answer questions. And people hate to answer questions because they're afraid they'll answer it wrong. Well, there's no wrong answer. There's just a answer. You've got to find out what you're doing because you don't have the vision your brother's got or your sister's got. God's a very creative God. I've told my six kids, don't compare yourselves among yourselves. You're not called to do what your sister's called to do. You're not called to do what your brother's called to do. You're called to do what you're called to do, and you better find out what that is. When Peter was upset about what John's called to do and what he was called to do because the end was very different for their, for their lives, and Peter's questioning Jesus about the difference in their call, and Jesus responded to Peter, What's that to thee, follow thou me? It doesn't matter what I've called John to do. You're not John. It doesn't matter what John's called to do. You're not John. You're Peter. You better do what I've called you to do. You are here for a specific reason at a specific time. I don't care what your parents thought. You're not firstborn, eighthborn. You weren't an accident. You didn't shock God when you popped out. I don't care if your parents don't even know each other. I don't care if you were conceived in the back seat of a car. You didn't shock God when you came out. God saw you coming. He has a divine plan for your life, and he's given you the ability to provide for that plan. But if you don't believe that, the devil's a thief. John 10, 10. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. We're not home. We're on an alien planet. There's a war going on. You better know what your weapons are. The shield of faith, the sword of the spirit. You've got to use your weapons or you won't make it. And there are unbelievers who do not know Jesus and do not know the word of God who have learned about those weapons. One of the things I read when I was here back in August is that we got a list called the Failures Hall of Fame or the Dropouts Hall of Fame. And I collected 1,200 biographies of people who made it who dropped out of college, high school, and elementary school but became multimillionaires and billionaires. Why? They believed they could. It's what you believe. Would you a heathen or a Christian? It's what you believe. It's a law. It's the way God made humans. Humans do what they believe in. That's why it took the world to whip Germany and Hitler in World War II. Because Hitler controlled the media. They believed they were winning because he told them they were winning. So they fought to the last 12-year-old boy and 80-year-old woman. Why? They believed they were winning. They weren't winning. They were losing horribly, but they believed because he controlled the media. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That's why some of the third world countries we're dealing with today, they'll have their kids at age 12 blow themselves up. I, my 12-year-old kid would never blow himself up. But they believe why they've been taught in their religion that you get to go to paradise and it's going to be wonderful. You believe what you hear the most of. That's why the Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. What we believe is important. So the devil's a liar. God is the truth. Truth's being told. Lies being true. We choose. That's why God said, I sit before you. Life, death, blessing, cursing. You choose what you listen to. There's 24 hours every day. I remember I took my high school students one time and 
I found were tape recorders and CD players and stuff. But this is years ago, and I, they're all broke. They don't work, but I had a rope tied to all of them hung around their neck. Now, they didn't do it. I asked them to do it. Some might have done it, I guess. I said, I want you to wear this for the next 24 hours. Sleep with it, eat with it. I don't care if you take a shower, shower with it. It's busted. I just want, I'm trying to teach you something. If, if, when I see you tomorrow after 24 hours, if that worked, and I'd been recording everything that came out of your mouth for the last 24 hours, would you let me play it in front of everybody? And they just look at you a minute. But I play back everything you said for the last 24 hours in public. For some laugh, some say, well, no, I don't want that said. Then you shouldn't have said it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the weak Sam strong, the poor Sam rich. December is sort of a rough month for our family. I had a niece that 25 years of age died in her sleep right before Christmas. We had to go do a funeral. Then I had a friend of mine that pastors in Texas. Daughter got killed coming back from Baylor for Christmas break. And I got killed in a car wreck. I had to go do a funeral. It's like, you know, as bad as that was, as bad as that was, you still have to go to the dead person's home and apartment and clean it out. You know what a shock that can be? Can you imagine? Could somebody come to your house, go through your mail, go through your magazine rack, go through your video, go through everything you do in private? All things will be made known eventually. Your sins will find you out. If you and I are stupid, somebody's going to find it out. Do you understand that? How embarrassing it would be to live your life and realize somebody could throw up your closet drawer, you open your computer and do and see everything you've been doing and thinking. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Guard your heart with all that. Don't feed and think and do stupid things. It won't bear any fruit. We're trying to get through life righteously. That's why you repent quick. You forgive quick. The righteous fall seven times, then they get back up. There's no perfect people. They're just getting back up people. And so what happens is all that stuff will tie into what you think you're worth, and that'll limit what you can make financially. Because the devil mess with you. You don't deserve anything. I know what you did. You don't deserve that. I know what you're thinking. No, if I'm a believer, I don't care what I thought or done. If I could repent, God, I'm growing in your grace. I'm not perfect yet. I'm headed toward perfection. That's why it's so important. Whom shall we teach the deep doctrines of God to? Those weaned from their mothers, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. The sooner we get to them with the word of God, the sooner they're going to live a victorious life. I don't have to be perfect. I serve a perfect God. God loves me just like I am. I'm destined for blessing. I don't earn any of it. I just receive it. Woo, have mercy. That'll set you free. Now, here's Jesus. Hebrew says he knew where he came from, laid down his glory in heaven, took on the body of a man. Jesus knew why he was here. In Luke 2, mom and dad had lost him for three days, had been on a caravan. They couldn't find Jesus anywhere. He's, Jesus is 12 years of age. They come back into town, and he's sitting in the synagogue. And Mary's upset, and she's yelling at him, where have you been? What have you done? Don't you ever run off from us like that? Where have you been? And he, in the King James, Jesus says to them in the King James, know ye not, I need to be about my father's business. What does that mean? Jesus, at age 12, knew why he was here. He knew where he came from. He knew why he was here. And Hebrew says he endured the cross for the joy setting in front of him. He knew where he was going. Jesus had a vision for his life. I know where I came from. I know why I'm here. I know where I'm going. Will that keep testing trials from coming at me? No. But if I get knocked down, when I get back up, I know what directions, direction I was going. I don't go into depression. You know where depression comes from, don't you? Everybody deals with it to some degree. It comes from a lack of vision. No hope. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Did that help anybody? So what you do, and I force my kids every year to do it because we dealt with it as kids ourselves. What are you doing? I just, 
I know what I wanted. I got out of high school. I want to marry this good-looking woman. Just got back out of the service, and Denise, a beautiful woman. Kisses great. Cooks good. I puck her up. I don't want to get married and suck the lips off your face. That was my 5, 10, and 20-year goal. It was. I'm not being crude. I'm just telling you, what are you going to do the next 20 years? Suck the lips off her face, eat cheeseburgers, and take a nap. <laughs> it was a great plan. It worked good for several weeks. It, it was working good. But then we started talking to one another like that and didn't go good at all. I don't like you and I don't like you and you shut up and you shut up. Because we were just flesh. We had no vision for our life. We had no goal. You know, our first apartment was a skanky place. We didn't care. We're so in love. But, you know, after, you know, the kissing sort of dies, then you realize this is skanky. We got to get out of here. So we, we went and found a $55 rent house that had been just skank nasty. But we went and gutted it and re-sheetrocked it and plumbed it and put in new fixtures and cleaned it up. Now we have a beautiful $55 a month rent house. We're moving up in the world. Well, you know, after being there for a while and you start to have a baby, it's like, this isn't big enough. This isn't good enough. You realize, yeah, I don't care how nice it was at one time. This isn't good enough anymore. We've got to move up the food chain. Then we've got to get our own house. I, well, I went to apply for a loan. They laughed at me. What are you laughing at me for? I didn't give you a loan for a house. I said, you got to be kidding. And so I remember I finally got the things worked out and finally borrowed what I could. And I was $200 short of paying off the uh, construction loan. $200. All I need is $200. And I remember sitting there. I've spent every dime I've got. I've hocked everything, my shotguns, my rod and reels. My, I've hocked everything to finish this house so we can finally get us into a, a new house. It's not a fancy house, but it's new. And I remember sitting there, and the guy said, we, we can't close out. You owe us $200. Well, well my rent's up. I've got to move into my new house I've spent six months building. You can't. You owe us $200. Well, it's a multi-thousand-dollar house. You mean you will keep me out for $200? Can't you kind of throw it back in on a loan, add it to a payment? They didn't do that back then. No, you, you don't get this house until you give us $200. Well, it took another two weeks of working some weekends and doing some deals to get me $200 to get in my own house. I'm living in a hotel. It's like, that's my house. No, it's not. I owe them $200. And I remember how scary life began when you realized you needed money. You know, babies are being born. There's hospital bills and there's diapers and they got crooked teeth and they need braces. It's like, oh, man, all I want to do is kiss that woman. That's all, just kiss her. If there had been a price tag hanging on her lips, I wouldn't have touched them. Because those were incredibly expensive lips. My God, somebody should have told me. And so what happens is nobody talks to you about money. You know, most of Americans want one thing for their kid. They want them to grow up, move out, and stay gone. About time you get out of the house. <laughs> well, you know, well, no, we're supposed to train you and equip you so when you, when you leave, you stay gone. And you send back checks and bring food when you come, and you're blessed. Really, you know how it is. And so, but, but that takes training. So what I realized the most important thing for my kids is not just an education. I'm an educator, and I believe in it. I realized over this, the most important thing, my kids are vision. Because I can have kids with a degree that work hard and go to church and pay their tithes. But if you don't have a vision, you're going nowhere. You're just walking in circles. And depression will set in. Why? You're going nowhere. You don't know why you're here. You don't even remember who you are. You're somebody with a job and a degree. What are you doing here? Well, the Bible says you have not because you ask not. So we've got to go back. Now, Here's what I sit down and I do with my kids, and we just we say we went through it. We're going to go through it this week. But uh, first question, they hate these questions. I say, okay, here we are, Christmas time, and they came out, and we had dinner. 
and that's write it down. Who are you? Write it down on a piece of paper. We're going to write out your five-year plan again. Who are you? And the most indulgent ones just wrote for them. They'll do it. Well, I'm, you know, Sarah Elizabeth, and here's who I am. And they'll get detailed. This is who I am. You know, I'm gifted at this and good at this. Here's why I believe I'm here. So, okay. Well, what are you doing here? Now, to do that, I go back through the Discovering Your God-Given Gifts by Don and Kay Hugh Fortune book. And there's several books. You can several tests. But what are you gifted at? So is it your gift that will make room for you? Your gift will make room for you, not your sister's gift. I don't care what she's good at. won't do a bit of good. What are you gifted at? Well, we've got to find out what that is. And so you have to take tests. You have to listen to people. You know, friends will tell you the truth. If you have a real friend, as iron strikes iron, so the countenance of a friend. But if you have no friends, you don't know the truth. You just have people flattering you, and they're not telling you the truth. You need somebody to tell you the truth. I remember the first time I got laid off, I went to the unemployment office and took a test. I didn't know they gave you a test. I went to the unemployment office to get a job. I've lost my job. I hear you give jobs. I need a job. And they said, well, we can't give you a job until you take a test. I don't want a test. It's in school. I want a job. Well, we don't know what kind of job to give you until you take a test. Well, I'll take any job. No, it doesn't work that way. So long story short, I took the test. And I remember this heathen came out about 30 minutes after I took the test. And he said, Mr. McGee, we recommend you look for a job in one of these three areas. Stay away from everything else. Now, I, I, I took that both good and bad. Like, does that mean I'm dumb at everything else except these three things? But what he had done based on my tests, my skills, my desires, my likes and my don't likes, he had narrowed down for me what, I, what he thought I'd be happy in working. Because if you're not happy in your job, you won't stay there. You'll get fired or you'll quit. You shouldn't hate going to work. Nobody should hate going to work. You ought to love going to work. Work is a four-letter word, but it's not a cuss word. He that doesn't work doesn't eat. I like to eat. I want to work. Work's a good thing. We're all called and gifted to work at something. The better we are at it, the more money usually people pay us to do it. So we've got to find out, who are you? What are you doing here? So I make my kids right down. They've all taken the test. What are you good at? What's your gift? Because then that will determine if you're going, if you need any more schooling. You need a technical degree. You need to go get some technical training. You need a college degree. What do you need to do what you think you're called to do? Who are you? What are you doing here? Where are you going? Now, where are you going to go with this? You know, well, I don't know. Well, let's find out. You know, where do you go do this job? You know, I don't think they have these jobs here in our town, so you won't be living here. Well, they don't have those jobs here. Where do they have them? And why do they need you there? And I make them answer those six questions. And, and, and like I said, they'll giggle sometimes. Sometimes it's quiet, but it's making them think. Because if you don't think, you'll just get up and do the same thing every day. In five years from now, you'll be in the same place you are today. Where there's no vision, the people perish. You know, Habakkuk 2 2. It's actually a negative scripture, but I'll pull this one positive statement. And he said, Write the vision and make it plain that those that read it may run with it. Why? It's going to tarry. God said, I'm going to give you a vision for the future. It's not going to happen today. It's not even going to happen this year. It will eventually happen. But if you don't write it down, you'll forget it because the devil's a thief. So I make my kids write their stuff down. Who are you? What are you doing here? Where are you going? How do you expect to get there? Why do you want to go there? Answer it. Write it down. Great secular seminar that you've got to pay $5,000 to go to called Write It Down, Make It Happen. It's secular. Now, the lady's, uh, she's sort of a remote Catholic, I think, but it is a real good seminar. And basically, she's talking about the, the law of writing things down. And it's true. You know, when David and Solomon became king, the first thing they had to do is re-handwrite the five books of the law. Their first day as king, they had to rewrite the law by hand. Now, it took weeks to do it. Why? Because God said, these are the rules that govern your country. I need you to know them. You'll know them if you write them down. You remember what you write. 
why we tell kids in school about note-taking skills. If you don't take notes, you're not going to remember this. Your brain will not log it in. What you write, you remember. That's a good thing. What you write, you remember. That's why people keep journals. You ever met people to keep journals? I know lots of businessmen keep daily journals. They write down the thoughts that they have, where they're going, because, you know, you can have a thought, and it can be from God, but if you don't write it down, you'll forget it. You ever, had, you ever gone to sleep and wake up in the middle of the night and have a great thought? Oh, man, that's good, God. Oh, that's good. You go back to sleep, you wake up the next morning, like, man, I had a great thought last night. Man, God talked to me. It was incredible. What was it? Well, it was real good. I mean, I was real excited about it. What was it? I don't remember. Because God speaks to my spirit, not my soul. Spirit, soul, body. God speaks to my spirit, not my soul, my mind, will, emotions. God speaks to my spirit, not my soul. If you get something in the middle of the night, you've got to get your soul involved and write it down. That just helps somebody. Don't let that thing flee. You think, man, God showed me something. Would you write it down? No. Well, you've got to participate. God moves, you move. God moves, you move. Proverbs 16, verse 3 and verse 9. Commit your works to God. God will establish your thoughts. You make your plans. God orders your steps. God will not order the steps of a human who has no plans. It's not legal. You need a plan. So I, I push on my kids, what's your plan for the next five years? Ten years. Tw- where do you expect to be? What do you want to be doing? How much money do you want to be making? Because if you don't have a plan and it's not written down, I'll be supporting you when you're 40. You won't be there because the devil's a thief. He's a, he's a murderer. He's a thief and he's a liar. If you're not in the truth, truth sets you free and keeps free. You're not going to make it. So Jesus knew where he came from, why he was here, where he was going. The last time I was here in August, I told you about his first full day in the ministry, how it did not go well. You know, he's just trying to help people and feed hungry people. And, man, the Pharisees attacked him for healing that man's hand. Sadducees are on him. You know, everybody's mad. His mother and his brothers didn't believe who he was. But, but when we finished at the end, you know, and they went out in that boat and in that storm, and they woke him up, he rebuked the storm, and then he rebuked the disciples for the lack of faith. It's been a long, busy day. They've not had time to eat breakfast, lunch, or dinner. He's preached five major sermons. Pharisees, Sadducees, religious leaders, his mother, his brothers, even his disciples have attacked him. Not one time did he gripe about it. He knew where he came from, why he's here, and where he was going. He had a vision. What's he got? Opposition from who? Leaders, family members. Did it stop him? Nope. Got exactly where he completed his mission, finished it. I have finished my course. Going home now. I'm done. I got it done. I had a vision. I got it done even against opposition. If you don't have a vision, if you don't write it down, forget about money because money follows vision. Money doesn't follow need. If money followed need, there would be no need. There's tons of need. Money does not follow need. It follows vision. So the greatest thing you're going to do this year, and again, you're going to be watching on video with Rand, and he'll talk about it briefly. You got to write something down. Who are you? Where are you going? What are you doing here? Why are you here? What do you want to do? How do you expect to get it done? Write it down. I don't care if it's on a yellow pad and a pencil. It's not, it doesn't have to be fancy. Just get something written down. Now, here's what I'm going to give you this morning. Genesis chapter 26. Because I used to do this in my high school. since collecting all these stories just on vision and writing things down. Genesis 26, about, you know, we sung about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob this morning. This is a real simple story. This is about Isaac. You know, it's after he's had his two boys, Esau and Jacob. We sort of go through that story. Chapter 26, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and I'm reading verse 1. It said, a severe famine, Genesis 26, verse 1, a severe famine now struck the land as had happened before in Abraham's time. 
Now, you remember Abraham, God left Ur of the Chaldees, led him out of Ur of the Chaldees, comes over to this land, told him, said, everywhere you see, everywhere you walk, everywhere you look, I'll give it to you. He said, great. God said, I'm going to bless you. Make your seed as the stars of heaven, the sands of the sea. You know all the promises. Well, the next thing that happened after God declared those promises, a famine hit. The land God brought him to couldn't be lived in because a famine struck. Now, what is that? Well, the devil is not a mind reader. The devil can't read your mind. The devil can hear. Until God declared what was Abraham's, the devil didn't attack it because he didn't know what it was. First Corinthians said, had the devil known, he never would have crucified the Lord of glory. God tricked the devil into crucifying his son because Jesus was innocent. He died for mankind. He had no sin. He bought us back. We sinned. He did not. But when the devil killed him, it wasn't right. And so his death bought our salvation. God tricked him into killing his son. So when Jesus came out of the grave three days later, the devil knew he'd cooked his goose. Man, I was stupid. So the devil doesn't read your mind, but he can hear what you say. You understand that? So all of a sudden, Abraham's blessed. The land's blessed. God promises it. He hears it from heaven. The devil heard it. Famine hit, and Abraham ran off to Egypt. Matter of fact, twice he ran off to Egypt. Why? Famine hit the promised land. If it's a promised land, a land of milk and honey, a blessed land, why, why is it so bad? Because the devil's a thief. And what you, listen, once you begin to open your mouth and declare, which is the only weapon you have, by the way, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Speak to the mountain. Speak to the bush. Speak to, if you're not talking to it, it won't move. But there is opposition. That's why you have to do it by faith. You've got to know you've heard from God. Well, here's Isaac. He knew his daddy ran off twice because of famine. Tried to give his wife away twice. He's a man of faith. Here's Isaac. Same deal. As happened before in his father's time, another famine. So Isaac's doing what his daddy's doing. He's heading off to Egypt. He's leaving the promised land. He's heading off to Egypt. And he goes down. Uh, to Gerar, where Abimelech, king of the Philistines, lived. Now, this is coming down. If you look at a map, it's like the Gaza Strip. He's heading down the coast toward Egypt. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt, but do as I tell you. Live here as a foreigner in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. Well, I like that. Isn't that good? It's like something you'd buy at a Bible bookstore. You know, you hang it on your wall. I'm blessed. Well, you got to believe it. I will bless you. I hereby confirm that I will give all these lands to you and your descendants, just as I solemnly promised Abraham, your father. I will cause your descendants to become as numerous. <laughs> Watch this now. As the stars of the sky, I'll give them all these lands. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I will do this because Abraham, listened to me, obeyed all my requirements, my commands, my decrees, my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. Now, he's down there in the Gaza Strip, as we know it today. He stopped short of Egypt. So he's down there. When the men who lived there asked Isaac about his wife, just like they did about his daddy, because godly men married good-looking women. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Anyhow, maybe it's beauty's an eye beholder. I don't know how you look at it, but I'm just telling you what it says. When the men lived there, asked Isaac about his wife, Rebecca, he said, she's my sister, because he's wimpy like his father. He was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought they will kill me to get her because she is so beautiful. But sometime later, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out the window of his palace and saw Isaac caressing Rebecca. Now, that's a very kind word, caressing. It's just a real kind word. Fondling would be a little bit further in, but it's even more than fondling. 
We had hands in places they shouldn't be in public. So Abimelech sees Isaac with his hands all over his wife out there, and he sticks his head out the window and says, Hey, that's not your sister. I got a sister. You don't do that to your sister. It'll make a great movie. Immediately, Abimelech called for Isaac and exclaimed, She's obviously your wife. You don't do that to your sister. She's obviously your wife. Why did you say she's my sister? Because I was afraid, this great God of man, Isaac, that God's promised all these blessings to him. I'm trying to tell you, you and I are human. We're not perfect people. We're getting back up, people. But the blessings are still true and they're still ours. You don't earn them. You receive them. The devil lies to people. You've not earned this. I don't have to earn it. I'm just a child of God and I receive it. I can repent and forgive faster than machine gun bullets. I'm the righteous God in Christ Jesus. The head not the tail above and not beneath. Who have mercy. Because I was afraid somebody would kill me to get her from me, Isaac replied. How could you do this, does Abimelech exclaim? One of my people might easily have taken your wife and slept with her, and you would have made us guilty of great sin. Now, Abimelech's not a believer as we know it, but he does, he does fear God. He said, man, you've got God us killed. Whoa, have mercy. Then Abimelech issued a public proclamation. Anybody who touches this man or his wife, I'll put to death. I'll kill you dead. Bring this curse on us. Man, it's old. This old wimpy man's made this good-looking woman. He doesn't deserve her. She's a good-looking woman. He's a wimp. But don't touch him. I don't want to get her killed. I'll kill you if you touch her. When Isaac went and planted corn that year, he harvested a hundred times more grain than he planted. Well, now that would be a good, big, good return. For the Lord blessed him. Blessed too. This wimpy man that lied and tried to give away his wife. This liar who tried to give away his wife. Who did he bless? This liar that tried to give away his wife. Who got blessed? This liar who tried to give away his wife. God blessed him abundantly. You don't earn it. You receive blessing. You've got to get past that or all the financial seminars world won't help you. We can give you the tactical information, but if you don't think you're worthy, it won't happen. You've got to have some faith behind it. The Lord blessed him. He became a very rich man. This liar who tried to give away his wife became a very, say very rich. Man, if you're going to be rich, just be very rich. Don't mess around with it. Just go in there and get you a chunk load of it. Became a very rich man, and his wealth continued to grow. <laughs> I like that. We got wealth. What's it doing? Growing. Whoa. You know, it's one thing to have a boil and it's growing, or some fungus and it's growing, or something skanky and it's growing. Nothing to have wealth that's growing up. Well, kumbaya, come on. His wealth continued to grow. He acquired so many flocks of sheep and goats and herds of cattle and servants that the Philistines became jealous of him. So the Philistines filled up all of Isaac's wells with dirt. Now they're in the Gaza. Have you ever been to Gaza? It's a desert. It's a blessed land for God's people, but for everybody else, it's a desert. So if you don't dig a well, you have no water to feed your flocks. You, you, you all die off. So they filled up Isaac's wells with dirt. So this isn't just a pain. This is life-threatening. These were the wells that had been dug by the servants of his father Abraham. Finally, Abimelech ordered Isaac to leave the country. Go somewhere else, he said, for you have become too powerful for us. <laughs> Wouldn't you love to have that kind of lie? Well, you're so powerful, people threaten you. You're too blessed. You've got to move out of the neighborhood. We don't like you here. You're too stinking rich. You drive too nice cars. Your kids are too good. Get away from us. You scare us. In 1905, I've taught this so many times. In 1905, a young man born to a father who sold phony cancer cures and an alcoholic mother who slept in an attic because he didn't have a bed but was taken to church at age 11 and heard about tithes inside of his tithe that he didn't want to stay for, a man who never went to college. John D. Rockefeller, 
1905, in 1905, John David Rockefeller's tithe in 1905 was $100 million. That was his tithe he gave that year. He was the richest man in the world. He owned 95% of the oil in America. The United States Congress had to meet to make a law to force him to break up his one oil company into 27 different companies. He had become so powerful and so rich, the United States government had to make a law against him. He became so powerful and so rich, the United States government had to make a law against one man. What anything new had happened here, where a heathen king said, you're so blessed and so wealthy and so rich, you scare us, we want you to move away from us. People said, that's a fantasy. No, that's real. <laughs> oh, have mercy. Put that on a bumper sticker. So Isaac moved away to the Gerar Valley where he set up their tents and settled down. He reopened the wells his father dug. So this is the second time he's had to dig some wells. He's dug some wells again. Opened up the wells his father dug. The Philistines had filled after Abraham's death. And Isaac also restored the names that Abraham had given the wells. Isaac's servants also dug wells in the Gerar Valley and discovered a fresh well of water. So this is the third set of wells he's dug. Then the shepherds from Gerar came and claimed the water. This is our water, they said. Well, they had no, there's no water there. These guys dug it so the water would flow, and they claimed it because they, had li- they were living there. This is our water, they said, and they argued over it with Isaac's herd. And so Isaac named the well Esek, which means argument. Isaac's men then moved and dug another well. This is the fourth well they've dug. Dug another well, but again there was a dispute over, so Isaac named it Sitah, which means hostility. Abandoning that one, Isaac moved on and dug another well. This is the fifth set of wells he's dug. Now, this is a man that God's promised, I'll bless you, prosper you, be with you. Well, if you're blessing me and prospering me, why I got so many nasty spirited people messing with me? Well, because it's planet Earth. Isaac didn't gripe, he just went and dug another well. Do you understand? Oh, my goodness. This time there was no dispute, so Isaac named the place Rehoboth, which means open space. We said, as the Lord, now at last the Lord has created enough space for us to prosper in this land. From there, Isaac moved to Beersheba, where the Lord appeared to him in the night of his arrival. I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. You know, if you've been with me, you know, I've been digging an awful lot of dirt out here, God. I mean, we've been chunking some dirt, man. We're digging wells like a well-opening machine. Like, where you been? No, I'm with you. I'll bless you. Water flowed every time you dug one, didn't it? Yeah, but I keep having to dig them. Well, did the water flow? Yeah, but I keep having to dig them. Yeah, but did the water flow? Are you needs men? Are you prostitutes? Yeah, but I keep having to dig wells. Well, shut up and get your shovel out. I'll paraphrase. That's not in the Bible. And the God of your father Abraham, do not be afraid, for I'm with you, and I will bless you, and I will multiply your descendants. They will become a great nation. I will do this because of my promise to Abraham, my servant. Then Isaac built an altar there and worshiped the Lord, and he set up camp that place, and his servants dug another well. This is the sixth time they've dug a well. We're a well-digging machine. One day Abimelech came from Gerar with his advisor and also his army commander. Well, now you can imagine Isaac's there. Oh, my gosh, it's Abimelech again. It's that stinking heathen Philistine king. What are you doing here? Watch this now. Look at the conversation. Isaac asked him, you obviously hate me since you kicked me off your land. You know how many wells we've had to dig? And I've been digging dirt everywhere. You obviously hate me. Then they replied, we can plainly see that the Lord is with you. <laughs> How do they see the Lord's with them? They know they've been forced off all that land. Word gets around. There's no internet, no cell phone, but word travels. Every time we run him off, he digs another well. We fill it up, he digs another well. We fill it up, he digs. He keeps digging better wells. This is not a normal man. That word got back. 
He said, we want to enter into a sworn treaty with you. Let's make a covenant. Swear that you will not harm us. Harm you? I've been running from you. I'm not going to harm you. I'm going to... You know, the righteous are as bold as a lion. The wicked flee when no man pursues. You know, heathen will look at you being blessed. They'll scratch their head like, you're not normal. No, we're not. We're a peculiar people. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Anyhow, just as we have never troubled you, we have always treated you well, even though we've run you off your land. We sent you away from us in peace, and now look how the Lord has blessed you. <laughs> Golly. So Isaac prepared a covenant feast to celebrate the treaty. They ate and drank together early the next morning. They took a solemn oath not to interfere with each other, like Isaac's been bothering Abimelech. Then Isaac sent them home in peace, and they left in peace. That very day, Isaac's servants came and told them about a new well they dug. This is the seventh one. <laughs> well, how many jobs I got to get? You know, I've been laid off and tired, and they cut me back. He's trying to modernize the story. This is the seventh. We found, we found water, the seventh well, they exclaimed. So Isaac named the well Sheba, which means oath. And to this day, the town that grew up there is called Beersheba, which means well of the oath. Jesus had a vision for his life. Where he came from, where he was going, he had opposition, but he got it done. Isaac had two promises from God personally. I'm going to bless you. Well, you're blessing me. Well, we'll just shut up, dig another well. Well, they filled it up. We'll dig another one. Well, they filled that one. We'll dig another one. I said, I'd bless you. Keep moving. If you don't get this, all the seminar you're going to hear in the week's not going to help you. I'm blessed. You're blessed. Jesus bought it for it. We've been redeemed from the curse of the law, which is poverty, sickness, and death. I'm redeemed. Didn't say it wouldn't make a run at me. Just said, I'm using my faith to resist. No, that's a lie. No, I'm the head, not the tail. We succeed in all we set our hand to. Our seed will be mighty upon this planet. Wealth and riches will be in our house. Our righteousness will endure forever. You understand? Let the redeemed Lord say so. You, if you don't do anything else, find some. Look, they're going to give you some great scriptures on the seminar. Get some free but five cards and carry them with you. Carry a half dozen of them with you. Put them on paper plates. A friend of mine in Tulsa went through a horrible time financially. Put, he said, I just put paper plates. Couldn't afford three but five cards, but I had a stack of paper plates. I started writing scriptures, just thumbtacked them all over my house. He had a nice home, and I was in there. It's like, my God, what, you got kids? What happened? No, those are scriptures to remind me what God said. Let God be true and every man a liar. He's a very successful millionaire oil man today. Had a friend of mine. That's, he, got, he was over the Tulsa Airport, Tulsa Airport Authority. Went to Texas Tech on a basketball scholarship. His wife left him. He got fired from his job, and the mayor tried to have him arrested all within 24 hours. Now, he hadn't done anything wrong. It proved a menace of everything. His wife ran off with another man. The mayor came after him. They fired him from Tulsa Airport Authority. He just went belly up. Well, later on, you know, he made a comeback because he started trusting God. Got off into oil, natural gas, became a multimillionaire. Married this really wonderful gal. She was a veterinarian. Uh, today, they're missionaries in Mongolia. The reason they can be missionaries in Mongolia because they live off the interest of the millions who made in the oil industry. They don't even need real money. They're just living good. <laughs> well, I'm a missionary in Mongolia. How you live? My money. How do you make money? What's money I made that's still working? I, my money's working. I, I don't work. I'm a missionary. My money works and pays me for being a missionary. I don't care how many times you get knocked down or they're getting back up, people. Let's dig another well. What do you think? Don't start this year dropping about last year. Man, let's just take what we learned. Let's go do it again, except let's do it better. Amen? Let's stand up. Don't miss tonight, tomorrow night and Tuesday. We'll get you out here in time to go watch a ball game. It is the word of God that will change your life. I know I shared this in August, but Jessica 
went almost two and a half years without a raise. She wanted to quit her job several times. And the baby not quitting, the economy's bad. Nobody's hiring. You do this job and expand your resume. Because when money's tight, you've got to do extra work because they're laying people off. And they laid off 12 people out of her department. Well, they kept doubling up on her work. And today, today, as I say today, this week, she'll, she'll put in a minimum 10 hours a day. She's working a lot of hours. But the reason she is because they had to lay off so many people. She learned so many jobs. They expanded her title. Now she's the, you know, she's the head accountant now. And so they've doubled her salary. She's driving a nice little Mercedes Benz. You know, she had an old skanky Volkswagen that the top was pinned up. You know, you couldn't put gas in it because the gas thing wouldn't open. So we just left it open like your gas cap's open. Yeah, don't shut it. It, it locks itself. So the seats are so skanky and nasty, you know. We'd ripped up the carpet because it was so bad. It was a skank mobile. 197,000. Radio didn't work. Heater didn't work. Windshields cracked. <laughs> Are we going to believe God or are we going to thumb suck our way through? What are we going to do here? Just keep working. I can't even hoard a car. Well, shut up and keep working. Car's not on the agenda right now. Work is. Keep expanding your resume. Make yourself so valuable that they can't afford to let you go. They have to pay you to keep you. So she finally got a job transfer offer to go to Franklin, which is where we're wanting to go, making even more money. The point is, and I told her, I said, as great a miracle as this has been, your salary double, you drive a nice new car, don't think you won't have to believe God again. Don't ever get to the point you don't think you won't have to believe God again. It's what believers do. We get to believe God. We get to resist the devil, and we get to go into bigger and better things. It's an adventure. It's like going to Disney, except you never leave. It's life. God wants to bless you. Let him. Bow your heads. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that sets us free, and you promised would keep us free. Father, we commit this year in your hands. We commit our families our finances, our businesses, our ministries, we commit them into your hands. We declare your word to be true, that you're going to order our steps, direct our paths, guide us into all truth, surround us with the shield of divine favor. You're going to talk to us when we go to sleep, when we wake up, when we walk during the day. We are in your hand. No man can take us out. We declare your word to be true, that we are the head and not the tail above but not beneath, that everything we set our hand to prospers. Lord, help us as we start this year to begin to get a clear view of what you have for us. Lord, we're going to pray like never before. We're going to begin to write it down. We're going to start writing some stuff down, Father. Your plan for our life. You're going to order our steps. You're going to give us the next step, Father. You're going to begin to talk to us. We're going to hear your voice, the voice of a stranger we will not follow. And, Lord, your perfect will is going to be done in our life, in our families, our ministries, and our businesses, Lord. We're going to bring you great honor in all that we do and say. And we thank you for that opportunity in Jesus' name. And everybody said Bow your heads, close your eyes just for one minute. Let you go here in just one minute. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Two quick questions. Are you here this morning and say, Joe, I do not know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I have never, ever asked him into my heart, but God's dealing with me this morning. I'd like to do something about that. If that is you, I'd like to pray a 30-second prayer over you right out of the book of Romans. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Salvation is a gift. All you have to do is receive it. If you're willing to acknowledge this morning that you need a Savior, God in heaven will save you right where you stand. Old things will pass away. All things will become new. God will make you a new creature in Christ. It's that simple. All you have to do is receive what he's got for you. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to call you forward. Men really don't save men. God saves men. God can save you right where you stand if you're willing to pray that prayer here in just a few seconds. Or perhaps you're here this morning and say, Joe, I am saved, but I've not been living for God lately. 
It's a new year, and I sure would like to start this year out right. I want to rededicate my life this morning, Joe. I'm saved, but I've not been living like I should. I'm ready to get serious with Jesus. If that's you, you can pray the exact same prayer out of Romans. We're going to pray with these other people. And God in heaven will forgive you every sin you have ever committed in a moment of time. Take your sins as far as the east is from the west. Put them in the depths of the sea. There'll be no record of your sins in heaven. It's that simple. So right now, every head bowed, every eye closed. You said, Joe, that's me. I need to make Jesus Lord of my life for the first time. Would you pray that prayer over me? Or, Joe, that's me. I'm ready to rededicate my life. I'm ready to get serious with Jesus. I may not understand it all in my mind, Joe, but in my heart, I want Jesus not just to be my Savior. I want him to come in and be the Lord of my life. If that's you on either count, you'd like me to pray this prayer over you right out of Romans. Right now, would you just simply right now raise your hand up, wave it at me, put it right back down. Joe, pray for me. I want to know I'm right with God before I leave this building. I'll, thank you. Thank you for your bonus. Anyone else? Joe, pray for me. I want to know I'm right with God. It'll never get easier than this. Thank you. Thank you for your bonus. Anyone else? Anyone else? Joe, pray for me. Just raise it up, put it right back down. Anyone else before we pray? Joe, please pray for me. I want to know I'm right with God before I leave this building. Anyone else? Anyone else? All right, hands down, heads bowed. Here's what we're going to do. Those of you who raised your hands this morning, we're going to help you pray. I told you it'll never get each of this. God does. We're about to have the two greatest miracles that can happen. God's going to forgive sins and save souls. It's incredible. So we're going to help you pray. I want everybody in here. We're going to help them pray. Everybody in here, say this after me. Everybody, say this after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I do believe he is your son. He died for me. And you raised him from the dead. I ask him now. Lord Jesus. Come into my life. Save me. Forgive me of my sins. I receive you by faith. With thanksgiving. In Jesus name. Now Father. These two hands that went up this morning. Either for the first time ever. Or as a reaffirmation of their faith in you. According to your word. And their obedience. As of right now. They are cleansed. Forgiven blood-bought, born-again children of God. Jesus Christ is their Lord. The devil's not their Lord anymore. They are your sheep. You are their shepherd. They hear your voice. And the voice of a stranger, they will not follow. Proverbs 6 says you're going to talk to them when they go to sleep, when they wake up, and they walk during the day. They're in your hand, Father. No man can take them out. Lord, as they leave today, would you bring labors into their path, begin to strike iron, help them grow and become all you want them to be, Father. I thank you that you'll never leave nor forsake them. This is the greatest day of their life, Father. We welcome them both into the family and back into the fold in Jesus' name. And everybody said, give Lord a hand clap, would you?